Welcome to the Ross Nielsen Therapy Hour with your host, Ross Nielsen, broadcasting live from his mother's basement. Please welcome Ross Nielsen. Oh, thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Mom, for the uh, clapping and the screaming. Appreciate that. Uh, my name is Ross Nielsen. Welcome to another episode, ladies and gentlemen of uh, Ross Nielsen Therapy Hour. I'm uh, tracking this from someplace in Ontario. I've been driving around trying to do things like finish my album and uh, sell merchandise for people and get my life together so that I may move it all uh, across the country. Um, This episode is near and dear to me uh, because of the guest. The guest is none other than Gordy Johnson from Big Sugar fame and, of course, from Grady. Uh, Wicked Band uh, out of Boston, Texas. Um, I have been a Gordy Johnson fan for no less than 20 years. Um, I remember vividly seeing Big Sugar at, uh, I believe it was called The Exchange back then, where where what is now Wilson Room in Fredericton, and there's been a myriad of other bars. Uh, it might have even been the tap room, then I, I can't recall. I feel like it was called The Exchange. And I remember, I feel like it was so packed I had to look in from outside through the window or something. But um, I remember uh, living on Regent Street with my my brother and some buddies at the time, the DeLong brothers and Craig McCarthy, uh, who we called Spud because he was really short but a great ball player, basketball player. And uh, I remember seeing the video to Sleep In Late, um, great song off their first album. And then I remember seeing the video to Ride Like Hell, uh, which is off of the 500 Pounds LP. 500 Pounds uh, surely is one of my Desert Island albums. Certainly that album influenced me as much uh, or more as any other guitar-based album, as much as Live at the Fillmore, as much as Couldn't Stand the Weather, um, as much as Southern Harmony Musical Companion. It's up there in my Desert Island albums uh, list, folks. Um, it's a great song, a great, a great album, a great collection of songs, uh, both new and old, and was my introduction heavily to uh, Gordy Johnson. So I recall uh, sitting in our living room on Regent Street and um, someone saying that he was playing at the exchange that night. So sure enough, we went down. And I was just blown away. Like, I believe he had Big Ben Richardson on the bass, or Big Ben Richards on bass at that point. And uh, just, like, pure power. Just pure power, stylish, uh, great singing, amazing guitar control. And I was stunned afterwards to find out he, he'd only been really playing guitar for, uh, you know, a handful of years. Uh, but, he you know, of course, he was a bass player before that, what have you. But um, amazing. It just set me on a path, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, I never uh, turned back from that um, raunchy blues sound I really love still to this day. Gordy, of course, went on to redefine the sound of Canadian rock, uh, the landscape of radio in Canada over the next 10 years was uh, polluted, diseased, infected with big sugar airwaves. Um, And thankfully, because it was a great time in Canadian music, um, you know, a lot of your music, musically speaking, a lot of my heroes, uh, some of them as they age, they kind of get diluted or they get tame, if you will. And, uh, you know, at some point... Uh, and Gordy and I talk about this a bit in the interview. Um, 
he packed up and moved to Texas. He was so fed up with the Canadian music scene, and uh, he started a band called Grady. And holy moly, talk about rip your face off uh, rock and roll. The first album, amazing. The second album is, to me, uh, as important as 500 Pounds. It's just solid grooves, great songwriting, great singing, um, well-recorded, you know, it, and it uh, it just drove it home to me. I was like, wow, you don't have to sit back on your haunches when you're uh, an aging rock star. You can actually continue to throat punch well into your late 40s. And I mean, Gordy must be 50 by now. I don't know for sure, but uh, he's definitely uh, 10 or 12 years older than I am. So he's that's going to put him in the early 50s. So uh, still doing it. Of course, also went on to become a world-class record producer. Um, you know, hit machine with... Uh, the Trues, Widemouth Mason, and and plays with the Black Crows, produces Government Mule, knows Willie Nelson personally. I mean, what else do you need on your resume when you know Willie Nelson personally? Anyway, um, I had the opportunity to chat with Gordy. We've known each other for a long time. Uh, I've played with him a time or once or twice. Um, we've spoken quite a bit over the years, uh, just in passing. So I took it upon myself to ask if I could interview him last fall when they were in uh, Saskatoon performing. And uh, it was just as I expected. Um, Gordy's very mercurial. He's, uh, you never, he, he doesn't really open up, you know. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a distance there, a cold distance. But he's a fascinating fellow and has had a, a really interesting life. So I was grateful to have the chance to talk to him, especially considering we chatted at 6 o'clock or so, and he had been doing press literally since 7 in the morning that day, all day long. So he didn't have to come and talk to me for this uh, silly little podcast I'm doing, uh, but he did, and that is a testament to what kind of guy he truly is. So I appreciate that, and I appreciate the help from his team. Um, I want to play this um, tune off the new album right now, uh, Calling All the Youth. Um, you know, it, it, it's more of the same. It's what you expect from Big Sugar. And I don't mean that in a, in a negative way. It is what you want from Big Sugar. It's reggae, dance hall beats. It's rock and roll riffs. It's catchy, hooky choruses that you want to sing all night. Um, this tune is called Universal Vampire. And I just love the uh, the outro to this tune. It's real heavy riff. It's, it's classic Gordy. So let's have a listen to this. We'll come back in just a sec. I'm not 
spectacular. They call them the cops, but they come on like Dracula. They're rending his bones and they stole his credentials. Classic Big Sugar, right? Right? That's what I'm talking about, rock and roll. So uh, we're going to get into the interview here. I had a, an amazing time talking to Gordy. It's short. Um, you know, I, I could have spoke to him for another half hour and still not gone through all the questions we had, but I was grateful for the time that I had at all. So uh, sit back, uh, get a cold one, enjoy this uh, interview, and uh, we'll chat a little bit afterwards. All right, I'm with Gordy Johnson at O'Brien's in Saskatoon. Uh, you guys are here tonight to rock the house. Uh, just released a new album. Uh, well, a few Call months it. into the new album, Calling Call All Youth. Great yeah. album. Um, no, no surprise. Uh, awesome reggae riffs, heavy duty guitar riffs. Really great stuff. Um, before we get into that and the future, I would like to talk to you about uh, way back. Oh, all right. Like late 80s, early 90s, Toronto, Cameron House Mondays, the beginning of all right. of yeah. what kind of... Became Big Sugar. Yeah, yeah ultimately Molly Johnson, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you were mostly playing bass in those days, is that... No, you know, I was playing... I was playing the bass when I first came to Toronto. We good? Yeah, I'm just cranking up the... Uh, I was playing bass when we first came to Toronto. Um... But you know the way it is, like when you're scuffling around, you've got to make ends meet, trying to, Toronto's an expensive city, you know, money city. Um, I started going to blues jams, I was just getting interested in playing the guitar, so I started going to blues jams, and uh, before long, man, they started hiring me to be the guitar player at the blues jam, so they knew they always had somebody who knew the songs, you know. Right, right, right. Uh, and that just branched out to, I sort of took over that band after a while. And that became kind of the go-to backing band for promoters in town if they would bring blues legends. Like we played with Lowell Fulson and Wild Child Butler and Charmaine Neville. And, you know, they would bring different different artists. Uh, and we made a name for ourselves doing that. That's how Molly Johnson heard of us. She wanted to do something 
I don't know, a little more. I mean, still in jazz, but a little more on the blues and rhythm and blues side. Right. So we started to play with her, and she got us in front of like Ray Charles and B.B. King and people Amazing. like that. So it took a real sharp uh, upswing as soon as we started working with Molly. Yeah. Um, and I still played the stand-up bass around town. You know, I'd grab my big doghouse and play on the bar at the Cameron House and you know, like walk the bar with a big stand-up bass. That was that <laughs> That's took hardcore. some. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I was fit in those days. You you take know? take note, all you guitar players who <laughs> showing off. Think you're showing off badass. Um, so, and Molly eventually went on to uh, kind of steer in towards like the Infidels and her kind of more contemporary thing. Mm-hmm. And is that sort of when you spun off more definitively into Big Sugar? I have to give her the credit for forcing me to write my own songs and encouraging me to sing a song at the beginning of the night on her gigs where she would refuse to come out if she liked the song we did she'd refuse to come out which meant i had to do another one (laughs) and it got to where she was making me do two and three songs i finally was like this is your intro music girlfriend this is it i love that um and then she got signed to a record deal to make a jazz record and she somehow spun that off into convincing the label that they should record big sugar and we had our own songs, she would be a guest on the record right. and then just let us run with the ball. So now really, is, Molly is... Is that the album that actually preceded Big Sugar? The no. Album? That is the, the one, one with, called Big Sugar. With that, Night in Tunisia and yeah, all that stuff. And that. she sang a couple songs on yeah. that. Um, you know, the, the album that has Sleep In Late right. and Come Back Baby. And she sings Round Midnight, yeah, I think. beautiful version. We do a couple songs like that with her. Um, but yeah, I really have to give her the credit because it was her record deal to take or leave and she <laughs> kind of pushed us into it and said, no, go run with that. I got other things I'm doing. I don't so, need this. So to me that, uh, I mean, that's so generous and uh, maybe I, I have fond memories of being in, in London, Ontario around 92 or so and, and I knew a lot of folks mm. who played in Toronto and the scene was so, uh, it seemed so friendly and maybe that's just an outsider looking in. But there was a lot of killer bands, the Bourbons, which I know you guys yeah. you had a long relationship with as well, yeah. uh, were cooking, and so many good um, kind of up-and-coming bands. The scene seemed really generous. Is it? Is that the case, or is that an outsider looking in kind of? I don't know if I call it generous. <laughs> like it was, Toronto was infamously cliquey. Like you had right. to know somebody and sort of be accepted before they let you in. But. Uh, I got in pretty quick with Proved a lot yourself. of older guys because I was, as young as I was, I had a deep appreciation for Roots music and I knew a lot more than some guys quite a bit my senior. Right. So, you know, I was playing with people like Gene Taylor and Hawk yeah. Walsh and, uh, you know, a lot of really deep cats, Morgan Davis. Yeah, my hero. Colin, uh, Colin Linden, people like that. The, yeah. the Sloth Band, the Whiteley Brothers, you know, like, so Doug, I got in Doug with playing. Yeah, I got in with a a bunch of really, really deep cats really quick for being as young as I was, and also learned up a whole bunch of what right. I didn't know. Uh, so really, you know, I can credit them with being very generous with their time. But to me, you had to really had be to good to get in there. Yeah, that makes sense, in. I guess. And is do you think the scene? Uh, I mean, maybe uh, it's unknown to you, but do you think the scene is similar to that now, or is it God, totally different? Man, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. I'm going to say, the, Toronto remains an incredibly vibrant and uh, it's a great place to be a creative person. Right. 
um, and you see lots of people doing daring things with original music in Toronto. In all genres, I'm seeing young people playing steel guitars and having country music nights in, you know, hipster bars around and bands with 18 people with all their friends yeah. in the band. I'm mean, like, you know what, I, I applaud that because it seemed for a while that Toronto was becoming just an industry city and seeing it bounce back where people just can't help it. they got, got to create things you know they got to yeah. create and do unique stuff so yeah. I still find it inspiring it's just not the same in terms of the kinds of music people are playing you know in my era you could, we were playing jazz and blues and ska and rock steady and all these different things dance hall reggae those were the flavors on the street right which I don't think it's that it's not that way so much right you know? And I guess that's the nature of a scene. It ebbs and flows and, yeah, and kind of gets into what it does. Um, so those days, like, I'm, again, uh, an outsider looking in. Those days strike me as the beginning of the end of the fat days of the record companies. Uh, like, mm, maybe yeah. there was another decade in there of, of the, uh, the, the heavy hitting. Uh, the, ni- the 90s were, were a very good time to be. It was a really the last decade right. to be a Canadian band where we had a love affair going with our own artists in our own industry. We played our own videos, radio supported Canadian bands, yeah. promoters supported Canadian bands, fans ate it up all yeah. over Canada. Um, I mean, I'm, I've lived in the United States half of my life, so I don't have an adversarial uh, relationship with, with American industry practices or American bands or promoters or anything like that, but I find it a shame that Canada became so obsessed with what the U.S. was doing right. that they kind of started devaluing. It was almost like a, a willful devaluation of Canadian talent and lesser appreciation. Where the, the Much Music Video Awards became all about, look at the American bands mm-hmm. we have. Look at all the big stars that we have. Yeah. Um, as opposed to look at I mean, we had our own stars for a while. Yeah. And then it sort of seemed like in the post-Celine Dion, Nickelback, you know, Three Days Grace, all these bands had great success in the U.S. and internationally, but they just swept away everything else Canadian. It's like, well, we right. can play a Nickelback song 40 times instead of playing 10 other Canadian bands twice each. You yeah, know, and uh, they do. And, you know, not, not a slight against... Three Days Grace and Nickelback and bands like that. I mean, hey man, good for them. And yeah. They work hard. They deserve everything they got. But it, it was more the industry's approach to... It's not like they brought everyone along with them. They just right. said, well, now we don't need any of this. We're just going to go with the heavy hitters who made it somewhere else. And it plays into the Canadian mentality of of the second best is pretty good enough. I'm like, <laughs> no, good. man, it, it didn't used to be like that. Yeah. Did, uh, how much of that uh, had um, kind of a, an, uh, I guess, a decision-making factor in you relocating more permanently to Texas and Big Sugar sort of uh, dissolving yeah, into away. the cup of coffee for a while? Yeah, I put Big Sugar away. I mean, I had no intention of bringing it back. I was like, man, that was great. I don't want to watch it just be diminished slowly right. into something I don't want it to be. Did you feel like it had run its course, or was it also related to the degradation of the music I just, uh, yeah, industry? I felt like there was no there was no point in keeping it going when the only thing anyone wanted us to do was play 
greatest hits and right. nothing new. We couldn't get any support on any new creative fronts. And I just thought, hey, you know what? That's fine. I don't, I'm not in it for the money. It, it wasn't a career move. I just thought, I need to go someplace and recharge my battery, go to Texas where... It's a life move. It, it's a smaller... It, it's, it's almost like it's a smaller playground to play in, you know? Like, in That's Texas, we only care about Texas music. We only care about Austin musicians in Austin. And if you, you're a musician in Austin, you must be great, and we like you. So it's a very welcoming and very nurturing place to be a creative person. Is there a parallel to that feeling, to what the feeling in Canada used to be like? Yeah. Yeah. Toronto used to be like that. Yeah. I don't know about the rest of Canada. I can't speak to right. it because I didn't live anywhere else. But Toronto had that at a point. And when I got to Austin, I just felt like, well, I'm home. Yeah. I can do anything creatively. Like I'm playing steel guitar. I play Latin music. Grady played in the metal scene. You know, like <laughs> anything I wanted to do, they were ready for it. And, and, and encouraged there. Um, do you think there's any any specific thing that keeps Canadian bands from crossing over into, for example, mega popularity in Canada doesn't always necessarily mean mega popularity in the United States? No, it doesn't. And do you think that goes both ways? Uh, Is it easier for U.S. bands to become? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's way easier for U.S. bands to get, because still the people in the industry are still impressed with that. Right, right. You come from somewhere else, especially America. And there's bands in the U.S. who can't get arrested, come to Canada and start their careers <laughs> here now. I'm starting right. to see that, you know, which is a good idea. Like if you can't, if you can't make a go of it at home, and then you come to Canada and use that notoriety to be in the U.S. band. We're from California, right. and can't get arrested in California, but they they kill it here. Yeah. So I, I think that's a great that's a great little technique, you know. Yeah. Uh, Good on you. I recall way back in the day uh, sharing tours with Government Mule. They would come and open for you here, and you guys yeah. would go and open for them there. And uh, I know uh, Trigger Finger is opening for you guys tonight, yeah. and they've been doing this tour, I assume, the majority yeah, of the days. Yeah, doing the whole tour, yeah. You guys did stuff with them in Europe. Yeah. And is that a conscious um, game plan, or is this just like, hey, oh, these are buddies of mine. We like each other's bands. We want to tour together. It's fun. No, it's, it's a business model as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to get... For them to just come here and play a bunch of clubs and hope for the best, you know, there's, there's such a good band, I think, if we bring them out and put them in front of lots of people every night, they'll come back and play in front of lots of people Absolutely, every night. Yeah. Uh, and it's, the same has been true for us over in Europe. We went, played, you know, two shows with them, and we came back immediately and played a dozen shows with them. Yeah. Like, we keep that going. So what uh, if Big Sugar had run its course, you cruised down to the warm lands, doing your thing, Grady... Um, producing lots of stuff. What prompted you to come back to Canada with Big Sugar? Um, well, it wasn't that I came back to Canada with it. We just came back to feeling it. Came you know, back I, live. Yeah. I had run into some friends on the road. I'd run into Widemouth Mason or run into the Trues or run into Nickelback or Ian Thornley. Anybody I'd run into from back in the days, they would always you know be like oh dude when if I had my way <laughs> oh, dude don't you miss singing digging a hole you don't miss it I'm like well yeah it's sure cool I, it's alright I, I mean I'm doing other stuff though I yeah. wasn't thinking about it they're like oh you gotta get up on, on stage and do a song with us oh, okay so I'd get up and they would do a big sugar song and the crowd went of mental yeah I had no idea people remembered it so <laughs> come on I wasn't here I didn't know I mean people <laughs> moved on to other bands and other stuff and 
so I wasn't thinking about that. But I sat in with people a couple times and went, uh, okay, well. It never occurred to you that Big Sugar has made their uh, foothold in the legendary bands of Canada? Because I, I don't look at it that way, man. I'm not looking at who's a legendary band in Canada. Sure. I, I just look at music and the bands that I dig, so I don't really care if they're Canadian or American or British or whatever. Yeah. I just, those are my good bands, you know? Yeah, I get I get. And that. I'm also not, I guess I have a unique perspective of just being in it, so I don't see it the way fans right, see it. of course. I don't see it, I don't listen to rock radio in my car. I don't, <laughs> I live in a microcosm of yeah. different weird creativity where I listen to like roots rock reggae all day and outlaw country every night and like that's just the world I live in which yep. allows me to be a creative person so yeah, yeah. I'm gotcha. not checking the pulse all the time you know I don't know what's going on individual realities and yeah what's going on. I live a highly curated reality <laughs> that's probably good uh, I was always fascinated by um, I guess uh, I want to say I don't know if it was on Hemivision you had one single come out um, in a French recording, yeah. and then Heated, he did the whole album, is that correct? Or was it... Uh, I don't remember. Heated, we did a few of the yeah. songs, the key singles, and then Brother and Sisters, Are You Ready? We did the whole release. The record. whole release. So I always thought that was brilliant, because Quebec, speaking of Incubated, is an entity musically unto itself. People can have a bazillion dollar career in Quebec. Yeah. and never tour outside of Quebec and be rich and famous as anybody else. Yeah. And why, what prompted you guys to do that? Did someone just be like, hey, there's shit going on there, we need to get a hold of that? No, it was us. I just thought, well, it's two official languages and we know lots. Of, I was working with French bands there too. Yeah. You know, I was working in the studio producing records for French artists. And right. I thought, well, I mean, they're such good songwriters and we have so many laughs writing, I thought, why don't we get together and write French songs to go over Big Sugar music? And we, we didn't translate, we just rewrote different songs. Yeah. Uh, that'd be a kick, and then we could go play in some French communities in Quebec, and that's another territory right next door. I mean, in concept, we sure got a lot of love for it at the time, but man, it, it's a... Uh, it didn't make it any easier, strangely, to play in Quebec, because you were still... An English band singing in French, you were not, right, not Quebecois. You were not yeah. a Francophone band. So yeah, they have a you. very, you know, they have a very black and white view of that. So it didn't, you know, it was nothing that we were able to sustain. You know? right. They just didn't, nobody wanted to interview us in French. They didn't want us to sing in French. They wanted us to sing in English. And really? Like, wow, that's really weird, man. And did I'm, the French stations play the French cuts or the English cuts? They did for a while. They played the French. Right now, when we get recurrent airplane in Quebec, it's, it's only the English stuff. So that's, that's bizarre. I don't know. It was an experiment. I wouldn't yeah. recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of effort involved. Yeah. yeah. I always thought, I, yeah, I'm disappointed to hear it was uh, not a, a successful <laughs> in my mind. I was like, that's amazing. That's so smart. I'm proud of it but yeah. it didn't you know it's yeah. those things seem there's still a chasm between those two cultures in Canada though. yeah so um, uh, speaking of songwriting you've written with a myriad of hits um, written with a lot of different folks uh, in your in the big sugar music um, you know the early stuff there's obvious nods to jazz gospel blues 
uh, evolving into reggae, which is still a heavy uh, main core part of the band, and, and riff rock, 70s rock. Um, when you were writing, or when you are writing, is are these uh, conscious efforts? Is this just um, your sum of your influences, and this is what comes out no. of gig, you know, yeah. guitar? Yeah, I don't, I don't put too much thought into it, honestly. We just groove on what we dig, and... And has it Let al- people decide. Has it <laughs> yeah. always been like that? Like in the 90s when you were pumping what seemed like hits out when you were a hit machine, still the same mindset? Just writing tunes, want to mm. write a good tune, make a good record? We had no idea they were going to be hits. <laughs> in fact, we thought, well, this is for sure not going to be hits. Watch this. <laughs> oh, if that last song pissed them off, you watch this. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're going to hate this. And it still got played. Like, what? Yeah. Okay, let's time. make a reggae song. They're going to hate that. What? It got played? Yeah, so it's a mystery to me how that... Oh, even happens always so. and still I don't worry too much about that yeah that's good that's good um, the production work you do uh, is that I mean you wear two hats obviously you do a lot of production work is it a passion on both sides or do you do that so you can take a break from touring oh, it feels the same to me except I get to sleep in my own bed <laughs> you know it's only different yeah I just I get to be in somebody else's band for a month or two weeks or whatever be creative and yeah in a different fashion and I the guess. mixing desk is just another instrument it's like a giant keyboard I right. just make sounds come out of speakers I just, just doing what I do you know? yeah making it make bending electricity and electrons around to do what I think sounds good yeah. it's the same thing as playing the guitar right? good way to spend an afternoon uh, you mentioned uh, it's like being in someone else's band. Um, most people are, would be aware. Uh, you know, you've been instrumental in forwarding prayers of many Canadian bands. Well, many bands, period. But in my, I'm thinking specifically of bands like Big Rack, Wide Mouth, Mason bands that you've already mentioned. Uh, the last Wide Mouth record, you ended up playing bass on, yeah. and has gone on to join the band full time. Yeah. Uh, what? prompted that just timing like could you have done that 20 years ago would you have done that 20 years Uh, ago I I wouldn't say I wouldn't have done it I've you know I've been at the I've been on the other end of the phone for my friends a long time the Black Crows called me one night needed a bass player I went to New York played bass with the Black Crows for a night I mean I've I've been a bass player my whole career yeah I play on some of the classic big sugar cuts Gary and I have no ego between us whoever wants to play the bass you know yeah um but the Wide Mouth Masons, they, they were in dire need of a bass player. I was going to produce the record anyway. I went on a tour with ZZ Top with Wide Mouth, and we mm-hmm. just had such a good time. I was like, well, these are my brothers, you know? Like yeah. My little brothers, I'm going, I'm just be there for them, you know? Yeah, that's, I so, that's uh, awesome. To this day, I, mean, I tour with Rich Robinson a couple times a year, playing bass with him, or session work, or whatever, man. I love his last record. Did you do some shows? Uh, I've played with last... him all summer, yeah. Oh, man, what a record that Ceaseless Sight is. Yeah, Amazing. All summer we played. I was, like, in sidetrack, but I always listened to Chris's last one. I think, oh, I like that one better. And then I listened to Rich's. I'm like, oh, I like that one better. So different, though. One sounds like New York, and one sounds like San Francisco. Yeah, they're pretty good. Very cool. Um, I just got one, one, more. One, right. one more for you here. I want to read this quote for you. Okay. And tell me uh, your thoughts quickly on it since we're just wrapping up with recording talk. Uh, the spontaneity of capturing the moment where you actually pull the song together for the first time. There's a magic there that never happens again. You never get it back. You never get the feeling of that first playback again. Does that resonate with you? you Who th- said that? Jim Dickinson, the late great. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm definitely... Uh 
you know, I'm as a producer, you know, in the studio, I'm always aware and watching for that moment to happen. The one that's not perfect but can't be duplicated, right? Because it it conveys it's communication at the end of the day. Did you communicate the emotion of what you were trying to put across? Then let's move on. Yeah. And a lot of, especially the solos on the Big Sugar's records, for Mr. Chill and myself, we play play the solo once and then move on because once you start rethinking it and composing it and regurgitating it, it's not the, it's not the same. There's something about the Becomes immediate, mechanical. Yeah, yeah, the immediate raw unfiltered emotions. How do you avoid that demoing? Not, like when you demo, you go back we and think, oh shit, that. I'm not going to re-sing it better than that. We don't really demo it. I mean, yeah. sometimes we've done demos and I just mixed them and that was a record. <laughs> a lot of times. Turn the lights on is a demo. On the scene was a demo. Better Get Used To It was a demo. I was like, oh, the record company loves those. When are you going to do them for real? Like, oh, I'll get right back to you. And you, you just know, remix it. Amazing. Mix it and out, out the door they went. You know? Avoiding demo itis that way. I, uh, I, I try to make the demos in my mind. I work it all out in my mind first and before I walk into a studio. I don't like to experiment in the studio. I like to experiment in my mind and think of concepts of how things will sound and how to make them sound that way. And then I go to the studio to execute those dreams, you know. But it's a lot cheaper to have the dreams at home. <laughs> Amazing. Listen, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. see you, man. I'll see you at the show. Yeah, man. Have a good one. There it is. I don't know. Did we get anything there? Did we did we scratch the surface of Gordy? Um, you know, for me, it's it's uh, it's a thrill to be able to talk to somebody who's been a major influence on me my whole life. Um, it, it's a really uh, to be able to have this kind of charmed life that I've lived the past decade or so, where I've come in contact with so many people who've been a big influence. It's truly uh, been wonderful, and uh, Gordy's been real gracious over the years, and it's been cool to kind of get a little uh, feedback every now and again from him and try and figure out how to do these things better that he's been doing for so long. But, uh, you know, I, I realized listening back to that interview, it was hard for me not to fanboy out a little bit and sound, you know, giddy because, uh, you know, he's my, one of my heroes. What am I, what am I going to do? Not sound like um, I'm amazed to be there and chatting with him and, you know, that he's taking the time to speak to me like a normal human. It, it is quite, uh, quite bizarre. Um, but I think, I think we had a good chat ultimately. And, and towards the end, we, I think we kind of got into some real, some good stuff. Uh, unfortunately we were time constrained and, uh, you know, I just kind of, kind of put the kibosh to it, but that's how it goes sometimes. Sometimes uh, a little bit is better than not at all. So again, thanks to, uh, Mr. Johnson and his team for allowing, uh, the interview. And I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope you got some insight somehow into some deeper part of the world, deeper part of the universe. Um, I hope that, uh, there was connection there for you. Um, and, uh, it, there certainly was for me. I'm going to go out, uh, on today's program. I got to play something off 500 pounds, um, on the way out here today. Uh, and I got to play, uh, there's an old blues number called Wild Ox Moan, a fantastic version of this song on that album. 
Um, please do, if you're not familiar with uh, Gordon, you've been living under a rock or something, uh, check out uh, the Big Sugar catalog, the uh, Grady catalog. Amazing, amazing stuff. And uh, just, a, you know, a superb, superb uh, career that he has had and continues to have. Uh, I know today's episode's a little short, but, um, you know, sometimes it's about the, the content quality and not the uh, not the length of therein. So uh, I hope you still get what you can from it. And uh, thanks for tuning in at all. I appreciate it. This is a fledgling podcast. We're still working stuff out, figuring out how to do this. Um, I, I appreciate people listening. I, we had a good um, bump in numbers on number two with John C. Stubblefield. So please, if you haven't heard that earlier stuff, go back and check it out. There's some uh, fun stuff there. And uh, we'll continue to bring you a monthly episode until we can get a, a bigger stockpile to give you more. I just uh, got to say I appreciate you taking any time at all to uh, listen to my little yammerings about um, the world and uh, you know trying to figure out how to how to do whatever it is that I'm doing in this world. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. This is Ross Nielsen. This has been another episode of Ross Nielsen Therapy Hour. Uh, today's guest was Gordy Johnson from Big Sugar, and uh, we're going to end on one of his tunes. I'm called 500 Pounds. This is called Wild Ox Moan. Thanks for tuning in, peeps. Stay good. We'll see you next month. Well, I want you to come on in
coming on.